I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now you know me, Justin. I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently. So that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called... NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favourite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Cheltenham Town to my Cheltenham Racers. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. By Cheltenham Town, I mean the football club, by the way. Justin, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Justin. Justin, do you want to start things off with a little game? I Well, why not? It's a reverse podcast. We're doing it backwards today. No, it's, it's not. It's not Diddy or Dinty. We'll save that for the end. Uh. Instead, we're going to play a Guess Who game. I was working for BBC Radio Leicester this week. And when I was out in the city centre, I was doing an interview. And as I was doing that interview, I saw in the background a championship legend. Can you guess who that championship legend is? Uh, uh, yeah, why not? It's, this could be fun. Was it Dave Nugent? It was Dave Nugent. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just because you thought Leicester City, championship legend? I know he still lives around there because I know he 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 goes to a CrossFit gym um, in Liverpool. So I know he's around there. Of course he does. Of course that's how you know him (laughs) because it's the only thing you've got to your personality. Uh, But yeah, Dave Nugent was out and about in Leicester City Centre. He had his dog, not on a lead, I will point out. Uh, Sorry to grass you up, Dave. Um, But yeah, I was there doing an interview, saw him in the background, and it really threw me off during the interview. 
No, I can imagine. What's throwing me off is he's taking his dog for a walk in a city centre, but the dog's not on a lead either. Yeah, and the city centre is very pedestrianised as well. Also, the strange thing about Leicester is the High Cross Shopping Centre, which is like their main shopping centre. You can take dogs in there. Huh. Huh. Yeah. I've never... Yeah. It's just weird. I've never been, which is even weirder. Well, that is quite weird considering you live just down the road, but I I don't know why you'd want to take a dog into a shopping centre. I don't know if you can go in any of the shops with the dog but apparently many of my colleagues at Radio Leicester have seen Dave Nugent just wandering around the shopping centre with his dog oh, retirement's treating him well then yeah he, well he looked well um, he looked he, he, we kind of catched each other's eyes and uh, yeah. w- when that happened he had that horror in his eyes where he knew that I knew who he was and from that point he was very keen to get away from me as soon as possible even though I was clearly busy doing an interview but anyway welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are we're going to go through all the midweek games in the championship plenty for us to chew over from this set of games we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days as well and then finish off with did he or didn't he right at the end so let's kick things off with what was without a doubt the most eye-catching result of midweek Blackpool 6 QPR 1 Blackpool had one league game had won one league game since October prior to this and Blackpool scored more goals in this game than they managed in their previous 10 league games and we were asking Blackpool to play better to make the relegation battle more interesting on our behalf Justin and they duly delivered they certainly did. It was such a bonkers result. I think I saw him. I was watching, um, watching the scores come in on on Twitter and just refreshing my page, and I just saw QPR accounts melt down minute by minute, essentially, which is what that first sort of twenty minutes was about. Um, the amount of goals conceded in that first twenty was was pretty pretty atrocious. Yeah, it was a strange result, um, and I don't think Blackpool had to play particularly well. They played they played well, but I don't think they had to be anywhere near a top gear um, to beat this QPR team because this QPR team was terrible. Um, I mean, the goals they conceded were terrible. Um, and QPR, uh, sorry, Blackpool certainly took advantage of them and, and absolutely fair play to, to Blackpool for doing so. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a surprise result, but certainly well-deserved. Yeah, well, I think, I think it was one of those games where Blackpool played very well and QPR were just atrocious. The number of times Blackpool managed to get a golden chance. You know, you, when you watch your average game of football, you'll have like two or three golden chances in a game. Mm. Well, Blackpool had about five in the first half alone. It, it was just such a bizarre game. And look, after Blackpool's January transfer window, I expected them to be a much better side. And we haven't really seen that, hence them not winning since October. But the most interesting thing from this game is this side didn't really feature the signings they made in January. It was mostly the Blackpool team of the start of the season. You had Morgan Rogers and Curtis Nelson in there, but that's it. The lad Andy Lyons has been getting a bit of game time under Mick McCarthy, but hasn't really shown anything too remarkable. But he was amazing here. Charlie Patino was incredible in midfield. Jerry Yates finally got on the score sheet at long last. May I point out for a striker who's not scored a league goal since October, for him to put away a penalty like that, <laughs> he's got some balls on him. So... It's arguably the most bonkers result of the season when you consider Blackpool's form leading up to it, of course. But it could also be a huge turning point for them. You just felt they needed a spark to get going once again. And 
this could be it. Also, a word for the supporters at Bloomfield Road as well. They were fantastic and that will only give this team more of a boost because they've needed those boosts, haven't they, Justin? They certainly have. They've they've not had anything to cling on to um, yet in terms of beating the drop. Obviously, they had a new appointment in Mick McCarthy. It's not quite worked out. They've had the new signings. They haven't quite worked out. So this result actually probably might go, we've got a chance, we've got a chance. And I, yes, they might still work, mathematically still have a chance, um, but they need to generate momentum from this result. Otherwise, it's, it's not pointless, but it's it's hard to see them. It's hard to gather hope. Um, so yeah, certainly building up form from this um, from this result is, is massive. But I think the positives, the other positives they can take from it is Kesha Anderson was back in, Andy Lyons, as you pointed out, looked exceptional right wing back and Curtis Nelson put in another top performance so there was a lot there um, a lot of positives even if they'd have won 3-1 or 2-1 there was a lot of positives to take out of this game aside from the scoreline well Gareth Ainsworth apologised to the supporters after this game not too surprising that I felt sorry for him really because I mean when your side's what was it, 4-0 at half-time? Or yeah, whatever the scoreline was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I lose track of what the score was at half-time, but what kind of team talk do you give at half-time in this game? I mean, how do we even analyse this from a QPR's perspective, Justin? After beating Watford at the weekend, just their second win since October, they put out this performance to follow it up. It's shocking, really, because QPR were abysmal. And the worst thing is, they've essentially given rocket fuel to the only team in the bottom three... Who could catch them? Well, that's it, isn't it? They've they've given those teams around them the opportunity to smell a little bit of weakness. Well, I say a little bit of weakness, a plenty of weakness. Um, it's it's not it's not good for Ainsworth, and it probably highlights that there's a lot more to do than maybe everybody thought, even us. Um, because as I say, that mentality to defend just wasn't there against Blackpool. The goals they conceded, Curtis Nelson's goal, for example, was one of the worst defensively errored goals I've seen this season I think so obviously Senna Dien coming out for the cross and then the ball just landing at Nelson's feet and then just no one in, no one being around him no one stopping or blocking a shot or anything um, it was it was so so poor and, and the Blackpool's team goal again was poorly defended there was just so it was just one of those games where I think from a QPR perspective it's gritty teeth and you try not to say anything irrational um, and you try to just take it with a pinch of salt because it it feels like a one-off game, but actually, the way QPR have been defending, it's probably not a one-off game. This has been, this is probably not necessarily the scoreline be reflective of recent performances, but certainly conceding chances. This is this has been a normality for QPR over recent months. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, rage-inducing, makes you angry, and they need to put it right on Saturday. There's no two ways about it. It will put a lot of pressure on Ainsworth if they don't. Yeah, I feel like this game is kind of a, a signal that this QPR team could actually go down. I think previously I was thinking Gareth Ainsworth's introduction may see them go in the right direction at some point. And I thought that Watford game at the weekend was going to be the time where things start turning around. Now, I don't know where they are. And it's going to be very interesting this weekend. They've got Birmingham, which is a huge game. Mm -hmm. But you're quite right, Justin. The way QPR have been playing... A battering like this has been coming. I didn't think it was going to come at the hands of Blackpool, but <laughs> they have been so poor defensively since, well, ever since McBeal left, really. I mean, as we've said many a times, Rob Dickey's a shadow of the player he used to be. 
But I mean, Senny Dianga's let clangers creep into his game. Um, Jimmy Dunn's not been great recently either. And then you've got young Drew at a right wing back as well, who's only played a handful of games for QPR. So, Mm. you know, this kind of battering was on its way. It was going to happen at some point. And now I look at QPR and think, well, you've just given, as I say, you've just really enhanced the one team who could catch you out of the bottom three. You've really enhanced their chances of catching you up. And so QPR right in the firing line of Blackpool. To be fair, there are a few teams along with QPR who are in that firing line, but... You know, it's very nervous times for QPR fans. But let's move on, Justin, to the race for the top two. And Sheffield United are now six points clear of Middlesbrough after they won 2-1 away at Sunderland. Usman Dembele was at this game. He was sat with Sunderland's chairman. Lord knows why. Uh, but good game, this. Rather end-to-end, really. And either either side covered won it because, you know, it was so many good chances for both sides. But it is a huge three points for the Blades, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think they'll care how three points come at this point. Um, well, Paul Kingbottom certainly won't. So, yeah, it was a massive three points, as you say, um, and a massive win and a massive sigh of relief. But I think, again, quite a lot of teams are in that category of they, they need to build up some consistency and, some, and momentum. Sheffield United is certainly one of those teams, but I think the solace they can take from it is they've come up against a, a very good footballing team in Sunderland who are tactically very switched on. Um, I saw Mowbray breaking down the Stoke game um, and the game at the weekend about how they adapt tactically to, to opposition. I know it irks a few Stoke fans, but it was quite an insight into how how they adapt themselves. And I think Sunderland are one of those teams that can adapt to other opposition. So it was always going to be a tricky game for Sheffield United, but they managed it relatively well. Um, and you'd expect them to beat Sunderland mainly because of the, the quality that Sheffield United have, but also the experience. But Sunderland gave them a right good game. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a massive three points for for the Blades, and I don't think you can um, I don't think you can quantify just how how much of a relief it would have been for Bottom to come away from a stadium like with three points because it is a difficult place to go, even though their home record isn't that great for Sunderland. But yeah, massive, massive three points and some good performances to come away from it as well. Maxi was was a positive. Uh, Doyle was, was was a positive as well. And, and Berger looked like he was getting back to that form that he showed before the World Cup as well. Worth mentioning, Tony Mowbray wasn't happy with the Sheffield United winner. Tommy Doyle's taken a free kick that's gone all the way in, but Sander Berger, who's clearly offside, has clearly tried to play the ball. Even Paul Heckingbottom admitted he thought it was harsh. Uh, But Sheffield United, they looked like they were much happier taking risks, which wasn't a thing at the weekend. At the weekend, we saw a Sheffield United side who looked nervous and were scared to try and do something different. That wasn't the case here. James McAtee had a great game and he is someone who's really caught my eye recently. Even though Sheffield United have been struggling, James McAtee has been the one player who's come out of this recent run for Sheffield United with a lot of credit. He's so happy to run with the ball. He's he's one of the players who's happy to you know take risks, which is something that Sheffield United need to keep doing if they want to hold on to that top two spot. But great with the ball. He's got loads of pace. He's a great passer of the ball too. He's a really exciting player. Someone who's caught my eyes on caught my eye on numerous occasions for the Blades this season. But he had a really really good game here. So as I say, Sheffield United six points clear of Middlesbrough in the race for the top two. I think it's. Safe to say Sunderland's playoff push has dwindled away at this point. Four losses in five games. We'll do that to you when you're trying to keep pace with some very good sides. And if that is the case, Sunderland fans should have no shame in how this season's gone, should they? In fact, it's been a great season. I think in the time that we've been doing this podcast, Justin, Coventry 
are the best placed promoted side um, in the past four seasons or whatever it is now. And they finished 19th, 17th around that mm. kind of ballpark. So for Sunderland to be actually challenging for the top six this season and, and probably finishing in the top half this season, that represents a remarkable, remarkable um, good you know, move in the right direction for this Sunderland team. They've been playing great football along the way, as we know. How many goals have we seen this season from yeah, the Sunderland yeah, team yeah. where we've gone, wow, what a team goal that is. But it's also a young side as well. So many young lads here who, you know, for them all to be playing in the same side is very impressive, but it's all been knitted together brilliantly by Tony Mowbray. And, you know, in a different season, the Sunderland team could have been very different if their fortunes this season could have been very different if it wasn't for injuries. Ross Stewart has missed essentially half the season with injury and is arguably one of the best strikers in the division, arguably the best striker in the division. Um, then Ahmad Diallo as well. Tony Mowbray says he's basically a zombie at this point because his body's just <laughs> kind of given up <laughs> on him now. Uh, but other players as well, Corey Evans is one who comes to my mind. But there's, there's Adi Elise as well. He's out for the season. But there have been so many over the course of the season. And if it wasn't for that, Sunderland could have gone even further. But considering everything Sunderland fans have been over in the past, what, five or ten years? Yeah. I think they would have taken a season like this where it's just solid, steady progression. Well, we thought they... Well, they wouldn't struggle, but we thought they would be sort of lower mid-table. Uh, and we thought that would be a good season. So if they finish anywhere above that, it would be absolutely positive. And as you quite rightly say, they've they've had a lot of injuries to contend with. They, they missed Stewart for sort of the for one of the, what, the first third of the season and are missing him for the second third of the season. Uh, sorry, final third of the season. Um, they've, they've been without Dan Ballard for large chunks of the season. They've been without Elise for large chunks of the season. They've been about a lot of players for large chunks of the season. Um, so Moby's had to manoeuvre a lot of things. Um, he's had to, you know, Ellis Sims got recalled back in January as well. He's having to deal with that, which isn't ideal because Joe Gelhart's not an out and out number nine. Um, and having a young squad as well, it's, it's been difficult. You look at Edward Mishu, uh, for example, he's only just starting to show his capabilities. It's taken him two thirds of the season to get to this point, Adelai Barr as well. Um, we're only just starting to see the very best of them, and it's yeah. Alex Pritchard's been injured for quite a lot as well. We've not really mentioned him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been a lot of um, a lot of things that Mowbray's needed to juggle, and he's delivering a positive season in doing so. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 a good season, but Sunderland fans will be expecting more. And I will be expecting more of Sunderland next season. Um, they need to strengthen. They do. They need that depth. They need a little bit more experience as well. Um, and if they do that, if they get it right, then they'll be a very very good team next season. Yeah, they're one of a handful of teams who I would be keeping an eye on for next season. Middlesbrough could only draw one all with Stoke on Tuesday night. Either team could have won this one at the end, Justin. Yeah, it's a good open game, um, which I think is is quite telling of where Stoke have come to. Um, they've been terrible for two thirds of the season and have just started to turn that corner in, in this further the season. I have quite a lot of Stoke fans um disagree with comments I made back in January when they hit rock bottom but they're now starting to we're now starting to see the very best of this Alex Neal or what or what this Alex Neal side can do um, at Stoke and then Middlesbrough I think it was an interesting test for them because, it, because they came up against a very good form team um, and they more than matched them in this game it just wasn't one of those nights where um, Middlesbrough could get going um, and, and we saw we saw some good moments saw some poor moments but yeah definitely a, probably a frustrating one for Carrick but probably a good result 
in the sense that Stoke are a form side, doesn't matter where they are in the division, if you've got a good run of form and you're scoring goals, they're going to be a very difficult opposition and they proved that to be the case for Middlesbrough. Well, Middlesbrough weren't amazing here. They seem to have one game in every five where they're all right. That's not a bad thing. I think it's expected. Not everyone can be Burnley, can they? Uh, Cameron Archer struggled to get involved. Ditto Aaron Ramsey. Ryan Giles was caught out a few times at the back. The main positive was Chibrakpom got on the score sheet again to continue his ridiculous form. In the last 22 matches, he's either scored or assisted in all but six games. That is absolutely outrageous, <laughs> isn't it? It's like Ivan Tony Alexander Mitrovic levels, really. And actually, he's got 23 goals for the season now, which is actually a very good goal tally. Tony and Mitrovic have spoiled us, really, in recent mm. seasons because 23 goals with nine games remaining is an excellent tally. And he has spearheaded this Borough promotion charge, and His turnaround is one of the great stories in championship history for me. This guy who went from a very bang average striker to arguably player of the season. It really is remarkable, isn't it? Well, yeah. I I don't think we, there's much else we can say about Chubber Abcom. Um, just because of his, his turnaround form, he's, he's, I think he exceeded his career goal tally where as soon as he hit 11 goals for the season I think his best career goal tally was 10 um, and that was in Greece so he's he's turned things around massively but I think a lot of credit needs to go to Michael Carrick because he's given um, Akpom the, 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 the license to to deliver that um, he's not playing him as an out-and-out striker he's not playing him as a winger he's playing him as a sort of a makeshift number 10 a second striker if you will and that's allowing him to explore space. It's allowing him to get on the end of crosses, but also the quality of coaching, knowing where those crosses are going to go, knowing where those final balls are going to land. Um, that's not that's not an accident. You know, that's all that's all down to, to to good coaching. You know, if you've got forwards who know where the ball's going to be, um, that's you know it's down to knowing, knowing your teammates and knowing the, the style of play as well. So, yeah, a lot of credit needs to go to Carrick for that. But yeah, Agpom has been absolutely extraordinary. He's, he's become a ruthless finisher. He's dribbling. Has taken the four as well. He's um, yeah, he's he's been yeah, a quality quality player. I think because of this turnaround in form, he's not entered my. I mean, I've not really thought about player of the season yet, but he's just not entered my mind in terms of player of the season capabilities. I never tend to lean towards top goal scorers, but actually, it's hard to um, it's hard to turn your eye away from him just because of how good he's been, how efficient he's been in front of goal. Yeah, spot on. Let's not beat around the bush, though. Borough will see this as a missed chance to try and make up ground on Sheffield United in the race for the top two. Stoke have played so much better in the last few weeks, haven't they? It's it's just a shame that it's come when their season is virtually over. There have been very good signs, though, that Alex Neal has finally got to grips with this team. Some of the players here have also shown that they'd be great options for them next season. Ben Pearson would be a top signing for Stoke. Yes, his mistake led to the goal against Middlesbrough, but he's an excellent player. We knew that already about Ben Pearson. Keanu Hoiver would be great to get back. I'm assuming that would be on loan because he's still very young and Liverpool may see a future when he's not. Is it? Was he at Liverpool now? Wolves. Yeah, Wolves now. Yeah, um, wherever, wherever he is, they'll, they'll definitely see a future for him, I imagine. Uh, get Will Smallbone back in the summer as well. He's been excellent recently. Dujon Sterling's out of contract this summer, I believe. So get him in as well. Get all the boys back together next season. <laughs> Stoke have the potential, I think, to be a really good side next year. Yes, this season has been poor. But 
let's just sweep it under the carpet. Forget it ever happened. Wow. And we can look, Justin, let's be honest, this season's been pretty <laughs> bang average, hasn't it? So yeah. let's forget it happened and it should be a much better season for Stoke next season. Uh, Chris Wilder got his first win as Watford boss by beating Birmingham 3-0 and a very comfortable win at that. It was what we what we expect from a Chris Wilder team. It's what we what we wanted from this Watford side as well. There's more action, there's more aggression. Um, and probably resembled what you what you want from a yeah from a Chris Wilder side. It was uh, an important performance, but an important win as well. I know they allowed Birmingham back into the game, but I think when you go two 0 up, you do afford yourselves that cushion to take your foot off the gas a little bit. But all round, it was a it was a good display. They were very active going forwards, um, and it was a semblance of of what we want to see from this Watford side. They just need to do it more consistently throughout games, more consistently. Um, over a period of time as well. So, yeah, a really good performance, I thought. Um, as I say, Birmingham did did allow, did have some chances to get back into it, but he didn't take them. Um, and that was to Watford's credit. It was, it was a good performance from them. Well, these were Watford's goals, in first goals in nearly a month, <laughs> which is astonishing, isn't it, really? But this looked so much more like a Wilder team. It was 3-5-2 for a start, which is the formation he's been synonymous with over the years. Mm-hmm. Jemmy Ngakia made just his third start of the year. A bit of a forgotten man at Vicarage Road, but with no obvious right wing backs in this Watford squad, he could find himself getting a lot more game time under Chris Wilder. Keenan Davis got on the score sheet for the first time since October. He said after the game that it was about time. I really like him as a player, so hopefully he can kick on now. And I think one of the main reasons why Wilder was able to play his preferred system was because Ishmael Assar was out injured with a hamstring problem. Ishmael Assar is a bit of a hindrance on this Watford team, really. And it sort of feels like managers think they have to play him because he's Ishmael Assar. We know how talented a player he is. Everyone knows that. But he's been so underwhelming this season and I'd be very keen to get rid of ASAP. But in Wilder's case... Ishmael Assar doesn't fit into Chris Wilder's ideal team. Assar has played on the right wing for virtually his whole career and has shown under previous managers that he's very ineffective in other positions. Chris Wilder doesn't like to play with wingers. So I hope that when Sars fit again, Wilder doesn't feel like he's got to change everything just to suit this one player. The way he's been playing this season, he's not worth it. So... I'd be starting Saar on the bench for the rest of the season, if I was Chris Wilder, but whether he actually does that or not, we'll have to wait and see. Does this mean Watford have turned a corner and can look ahead to the playoffs? Not just yet, because Birmingham have been out of form for a long time now, so there's a long way to go before that's confirmed. Having said that, they've got a very kind run of games remaining. Six of their last nine are against sides in the bottom half, so that's very encouraging for their chances of getting a top six place. Huge game for Birmingham this weekend, Justin. QPR away. It really is a must-win for both sides, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. But I, I would fancy Birmingham for the game, uh, mainly because I I'm not disappointed by this performance. I thought they were too passive in that first 20 minutes. That allowed Watford to to build their lead. Um, but they seemed to, to they seemed to grow after that. In the second half, they were very good. I know Watford took their foot off the gas, as I, as I said. Um but Birmingham still showed what they're capable of doing. They still created chances. It's just that that lack of um, goal-scoring touch that's hindered them for most of the season um, that that held them back. I do think that if if Birmingham had a clinical goal scorer or a clinical edge to their game, 
um, that they would be comfortable in mid-table. So I'm I'm very confident of them getting a result against QPR because I just think they're in a much better position. Uh, as I say, I think their performances are uh, are better off at the moment than QPR's are. As I, as, I, as I was saying earlier in the episode, QPR have been on a one-way to a hiding in, in recent months. They got that against Blackpool. They'll be looking for a reaction, but Birmingham, all they need to do is put a performance in like this, make sure they're not sloppy defensively, um, as they were with the goals that they conceded here, and be clinical. And that's potentially a 1-0 win. Obviously, that's a very simplistic way of, set, uh, uh, of of talking about it, and that's basically how football games are won. But it's it's I'm just basically describing how Birmingham have been playing of late, and we saw them take their chances at the weekend, didn't do it here. They could do it on Saturday and get a result. That's a fine line of football. It's a fine line of Birmingham's games at the moment. I think if you could handpick two relegation relegation threatened teams right now, I think it would be Birmingham and QPR. And I say that because while there are obviously teams who are, you know, you could maybe pick Blackpool and Cardiff, for example. The reason I say Birmingham and QPR is because these two are kind of both in danger, but also both on the periphery of getting out of it wins have been so few and far between for teams down there this season that a three points here is the big bag of cliches here but it is a six pointer and you can essentially just about see yourself not safe but maybe nearly as good as whereas the other team will be right in the shitter if they lose this one so this is why this game is so huge for both sides really and it's a must win a, a draw I'm not sure if that suits either side really a win would be huge for either team and Nathan Teller Hattrick gave Burnley a 3-1 win over Hull five goals in two games for him now he's the third top goal scorer in the championship with 17 goals what a player and we're discussing him again Justin he is a serious player isn't he just copy and paste what we said at the weekend and that's it isn't it that's all we need to do just take the clip out from the weekend and put it in here because he's a remarkable player and we don't need to say too much else we, we could do that but I think he's worthy of us lushing <laughs> over him a bit more just such a such an exciting talent isn't he I mean he's got pace to burn we knew that anyway from his Southampton days but this season for Burnley he's shown he's got that goal scoring touch as well I mean it's been particularly evident in the last few games whether it's scoring headers or you know clinical finishes from one-on-ones this guy has really got it all and I'll say this again why on earth did Southampton let him go out on loan <laughs> makes absolutely no sense to me but maybe this is what he needed maybe he needed to drop down a level to really find the player that he can be and being under Vincent Company's tutelage has been has uh, been great for his career hasn't it because now you look at him and you say he is one of the most exciting players at this level and wherever he's playing his football next season I've got my fingers crossed that it's going to be Burnley because if it's Southampton in the championship then that could be a bit unfair um, but if it's Burnley in the Premier League then he'll certainly be carrying on his great form from this season I'm sure of that uh, but a, a remark. A remarkable player who Burnley have really loved having with them all season, haven't they? But they've now picked up the second most points after 37 games in championship history, Justin. They're done with league action now before the international break because they've got Man City in the Cup this weekend. The next three games are big though. Sunderland at home, Middlesbrough away, Sheffield United at home. 
big with the context of breaking the 106 point record i mean we know they're getting promoted at this point let's not mess around with that but they could also decide who goes up with them couldn't they well they, they've got a big say on uh yeah big say on the automatic promotion race imagine if they uh if they beat uh middlesbrough but sheffield united pit them to to, to the three points it'll be a yeah it'll be a big swing won't it but yeah it's it's, it's a it's a massive say and i think as well, well we'll learn a lot about this bernie team um, and how they are still switched on because whilst we know they're going up it's important for them to stay active and just keep their head in the game uh, I hate that cliche but just keep their head straight essentially and, and, and ensure that they're still ticking ticking away still uh, hungry enough to chase down that points record I think that's the key thing here we know they're going up as champions um, so are they hungry enough to be the best team ever that's what we want to know. And that's what we, whenever teams start to run away with a title, that's what we want to learn about a side is whether they're hungry enough to be um, the best team in the championship ever. And um, under Vincent Company, I think I, I'd be confident in saying that they are capable of doing it. It's just whether or not they'll run out of games in, in doing so. And that run of games you mentioned, Sunderland, Sunderland come into Turf Moor. Sunderland are a very good away side. Then you've got Middlesbrough and Sheffield United both gunning for automatics. It's um, not only can they have a big say on the automatic promotion race Burnley, but those two sides or those three sides can have a big say on whether or not Burnley pit uh, pit Reading to that uh, points record. If they get through those three games unscathed, then you've got oh, God, to yeah. say you've got to say the one hundred and six point record is in serious danger. Into uh, Hull one win in seven. At one point, they were looking like they could be an outsider for the top six, but that's quickly dwindled away with this run of form. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Luton and Blackburn. Back to the second tier podcast. Luton made it three wins on the bounce by beating Bristol City 1-0. A thoroughly deserved victory for the Hatters. And Rob Edwards was disappointed after the game that they didn't win this by more. Well, when you score in the fourth minute and um, you manage to see out the game relatively comfortably, yeah, you are going to be disappointed. But still a lot of plenty or plenty of positives to take away from it. It's a clean sheet. Um, it's another win at home, obviously. I think before Rob Edwards came in, that home record wasn't that good. It still took him a little bit of time as well to get that home record ticking over. But now it's looking like they are a strong or a difficult side to play at Kenilworth Road. It's always been the case, but um, we've needed to be convinced. But it's it's helping them turn their uh, well playoff hopes into potential automatic promotion hopes. But yeah, it was a, certainly a good performance. I thought Luke Luke Barry came in and he was he was good. Obviously, he came off the bench at the weekend and he's come in and looked assured. Um, Carlton Morris again. I think he's got twenty one goal contributions for the season, which puts him in the category of wow, I love him so much. I, you know what the weird thing was? I saw Adrian. I heard Adrian Durham last night on Talk Sport say that he wasn't convinced that Cotton Morris would get double figures this season, which was astonishing for a man so involved in football wasn't convinced that this guy would get got uh, double figure goals this season which it's just it blew my mind when he said that and absolutely infuriated me as wait wait wait, wait. so was he saying he doesn't think Carlton Morris will get double figure goals this season because he already has no yeah when he went to Luton he, he thought that Carlton Morris wouldn't get double figures this season right. at okay. Luton which is just astonishing because Carlton Morris is a very good and underrated footballer. I can understand um, why he would think that, though, Justin, because his goal record prior to this season hasn't been incredible, has it? 
it doesn't matter. I think you all need a little bit of faith. Right, I, I don't life. want the Cole to Morris fan club to come <laughs> at my front door, so I'll just keep my mouth shut from this point. But carry on. Anyway, what I, I'm essentially saying that he's a very good footballer. He's got 21 goal contributions for this season, and he's, I mean, Adebayo has not been in great goal scoring form this season. He's been good, but he's not been great in terms of putting chances away. Um, so they needed that goal scoring, and, and Morris has, has proved that. And, yeah, there's just a lot of positives to take. I know it's just a 1-0 win on a Tuesday night over Bristol City who aren't really playing for anything this season, but Bristol City are a, they turn themselves into a decent team. It's a win in a clean sheet at home and keeps um, keeps the likes of uh, Sheffield United and Middlesbrough thinking, well, looking over their shoulder, I think, nervously, that Luton might put that run of form together. Well, Justin, I was <laughs> saying at the weekend that I don't think Luton will finish in the top two, but I wouldn't rule it out. The seven points off Sheffield United, yet... Considering their form, it's certainly up for discussion, isn't it? Mm, no. I mean, I know I was just saying that it keeps them looking over the shoulder, but maybe it's just a... You know, like on Jurassic Park, where the T-Rex is gaining on the uh, the 4x4 and it's really close. It's nowhere near at this point. I think it's just a, a small thud in the background. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say that Luton have got a good chance right now. Maybe five ten percent out of nine uh, out of hundred. I I just can't see it. It's a lot of points to make up. Yeah, I I agree <laughs> with you. I think if you putting Luton alongside Middlesbrough, for example, I'm saying Middlesbrough would finish in the top two a lot more often than Luton would in that scenario. However, um, we've been criticising fans of other clubs for underestimating this Luton team. Are we now the ones underestimating this Luton team? Are we the bad guys? Um, because, <laughs> are we the baddies? I mean, this Luton side over the years has proven time and time again that whatever your assumptions are of it, it can easily outdo those expectations. So while I don't think it will happen, I don't think we can rule it out because they're capable of anything, this Luton team. Um, so... I'll, I'll cautiously say I don't think they'll go up in the top two, but I am. I will ha- very happily take that humble pie in the face come May if it does indeed happen. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the prophecy we foretold of Bristol City going on a sloppy run after their good run of form looks like it's coming true as it so often does. Two wins in seven now for them and they'll just be finishing their season as one of those who are already on the beach I suppose a late Ryan Hedges goal gave Blackburn a 2-1 win at home to Reading not too surprising this one Reading are really really bad away from home seven straight losses on the bounce on their travels now yeah it's it's, it's, it's dreadful isn't it I think um, I think I got ridiculed for suggesting that the key for Reading staying up this season is their away form, um, is, is ensuring their away form catches up with their, their home form. I think I said that back in August. Um, and I stand by that. Their, their away form has been absolutely atrocious. Um, their home form has been good. It's, I think I said it at the weekend, it was in the top five. I think it is still in the top five. Um, but their away form is, 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 is so bad. And I think the fact that they gave themselves an opportunity as well to get a result from this game and still come away with a, with a defeat um, it is really disappointing, but I think their, I mean their side of play lends to teams playing well away from home. They are very industrious. They rely on working harder than opposition. They are very direct, um, but they just can't seem to um, can't seem to replicate that home form. It's, it's a strange one, but 
I certainly do think Paul Ince does, does need to take a lot of the blame for it. They are a bit, ne- they, they're far too negative. They need to be a little bit more, I wouldn't say on the front foot, but just a little bit more savvy. I just don't think, I think that's where we see Paul Ince's limitations as a manager. Is that, you know, you look at Tony Mowbray, who's a- able to adapt his teams. You know, he can play against direct teams, he can play against footballing teams. He's able to adapt, whereas Paul Ince just doesn't happen um, and that's where we see the limitations um, and it's it's frustrating because I do think there's quality in this team I do think there's quality in this running team we need to see a little bit more of it Ben Brereton Diaz scored his first home goal since October so that'll be a big relief for him Reading scored a great goal through Cesar Casade and a beautiful assist by Sam Gallagher for the winner as well all three goals um, were very good in their own right a great result for Blackburn to help them bounce back after their loss at Stoke last Friday they're set fifth with a five-point cushion on the teams outside the top six. How do you assess their chances of securing that top six place, Justin? I don't think I'm allowed to comment on this for my own safety. Well, I think I certainly rate them a lot higher than yours. I think um, how we described it a couple of weeks ago is that Blackburn have put themselves into a really good contention. You know, they weren't playing well in the first half of the season, but they were getting results. Now they are playing much better. Um, they are creating chances. They've got players who are finally hitting form. I think Tyree Stolen has been magnificent over the last sort of six weeks. Um, defensively, they've become very, very solid. Hayden Carter has been fantastic. Um, Dom Hyams been consistent throughout the season. So yeah, they, they've got players hitting uh, hitting form at, at the perfect time. Um, so that you know, finishing the top six is is very much a realistic proposition. I think the only thing that will will see them drop out is if they're their, their foot comes off the gas if they they stop creating chances because they have improved massively in that in that area and um, they take the foot off their gas and the teams that are be, below them that do have those extra resource like West Brom and, and Norwich they overtake them that's the only thing that I would think would see Blackburn drop out at this point is those teams behind them um, improve massively and uh, and overtake them because I just can't see Blackburn they've been stubborn they've been a stubborn side um, and that's what that's what I'll see. That's what we'll see them in the top six. Is 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 being even more stubborn. All I'll say is, and I've made sure I've boarded up my windows before we, uh, <laughs> before I say anything about Blackburn. And um, they've won five games from six in the league. Four of them have been against sides who are seriously struggling. So forgive me for continuing to be sceptical about their chances. They got the win against Sheffield United, which admittedly was a very impressive win. Six of their remaining nine games against top half sides. So still a lot of work for Blackburn to do. I think they're being helped by the fact that some of the teams outside the top six aren't too impressive right now. I look at, you know, Norwich and Watford, for example, who you'd expect to be, you know, battling for the top six, but each have their own problems. Um, So if they get into the playoffs, fair enough. But I personally can't see it still. Um, Reading is still waiting to hear if they will be punished by the AFL this season. It's been nearly two weeks since reports came out saying the Red- saying the Royals were set to be docked six points for allegedly breaching the business plan, which was imposed on the club last year for breaching profit and sustainability rules. However, it's not happened yet. And Berkshire Live is reporting Reading adamant the club has done nothing wrong in recent times and any punishment will be for historic misdemeanours. Paul Lintz has said he still expects the points deduction to happen this season, but has admitted it's not ideal with it hanging over their heads. If it doesn't happen this season, that would be a massive get out of jail free card for them, won't it? Massively, massively. It's, um, it's one of them, I think... It needs to be resolved quickly, and these things are never resolved quickly. I think that's a frustrating thing with the AFL processes; is they take far too long, and 
for for a club to be. I mean, it's a similar situation with Wigan for a club to be um, having to play with this situation hanging over them. Um, you know, it's a case of they've either done it or they haven't. So just pull the trigger and um, we'll do with what we have from there. I might be far too simplistic in, in my approach and that's probably why I don't work in um, uh, but EFL governance or football governance but or football administration but essentially that's that's that should be that should be how it works but yeah I can't imagine how difficult it is for the players but that being said um, it can't be used as an excuse either and um, the team has been poor of late it's not because of this points deduction that's been hanging in they've been poor because they haven't been playing well enough um, and that, that needs to be addressed quicker than, than any points deduction. David Wagner's Norwich could only manage a point on his first visit back to Huddersfield as an opposing manager they drew one all what a shock, Gabriel Sara getting on the score sheets again. What a finish by Martin Waghorn, by the way. It's been given as a Grant Hanley own goal, which is very harsh on everyone involved there <laughs> because Waghorn's lobbed Angus Gunn in the Norwich goal from 25 yards out. Sure, Angus Gunn was miles off his line, but still, still had the execution to do it. And I think that's very harsh on Waghorn not giving him that goal. This was better from Huddersfield than what we've seen recently, hasn't it, though? They were a lot more solid, but still left a lot to be decided going forward so didn't technically have a shot on target um, which is probably why it was a Hanley uh, OG but yeah it was it was much better but we, we're seeing this Norwich team go up in spits and in spits and spats now they're not being consistent enough with their performances and that this was probably one of those days where they weren't quite at their best and that probably allowed a, a very um, a very average Huddersfield I say very average a poor Huddersfield team um, to, to to look better than maybe what they are but credit to them they ha- they held a good side to, to a point at home needed to be a win it wasn't um, but in, in you know, recent games where they've been conceding quite sloppy goals um, they stood strong and, and reduced Norwich to I wouldn't say scraps but three shots on target it wasn't a it wasn't a free-flowing game by by Norwich by any means so yeah, some credit should go to um, should go to Huddersfield for that. But that being said, they're in a, they're in a stage where they need three points every game now. Um, and then you know, it wasn't the case, and yeah, you got to take got to take the point, but still need to improve. It's another very unimpressive performance from Norwich. They were arguably second best here to the side bottom of the league, who have also been absolutely woeful recently. It was disjointed, it was lethargic, and the only player who is in any sort of form for them right now is Gabriel Sara, and he's been the main reason why they've been picking up results recently, because otherwise, Norwich are just really, really flat. And, I mean, they're on the edge of the playoffs right now. If they were to get a playoff place, they would be properly stumbling over the line, because I can't say I've been impressed at all with Norwich since David Wagner's come in I mean I've not been impressed with them now for a while going back to the Dean Smith days as well there's a lot to be desired with this Norwich team I think it is a very good side but so many players are underperforming and I just don't really see what the plan is here either Hmm. there's a lot of progress that needs to be made with Norwich if they are to secure a playoff place they may get over the line by the fact that a lot of the teams around them aren't as free-flowing in terms of their results either so we'll have to wait and see but I can't say I've been very impressed with Norwich recently at all Millwall won back-to-back league games for the first time since October by winning 2-1 at home to Swansea Millwall were made to hold on here but Swansea um, it's another game where They've dominated the ball, lacked substance, and then shot themselves in the foot with their defensive frailties and goalkeeper clangers. 
It's a uh, rinse and repeat, isn't it, from Swansea? Arguably the most one of the most frustrating teams in the league. That we see, we do see quality from them, but they they one of those teams that just don't help themselves at all. Um, but I, I, as you say, it was a decent performance. I, I thought it was a decent performance. They did well in the first and second half, and they dominated the game. But that doesn't necessarily matter because they've come away from the game without three points to some extent. That they, um, to some extent, it was a reaction from the weekend. But at the end of the day, they've lost another game and conceded some really poor goals again. Um, and I don't think Millwall were that great in this game. Uh, I thought Swansea, as I say, dominated, but they've come away from another. Uh, another game without without anything to, to show of it. It's um, I don't really know where I stand with Russell Martin now. I, I do sympathise with him because his squad isn't good enough. Um, but at the end of the day, he's not tried to adapt his style of play. Well, he did it at the start of the season, actually, didn't he? For a brief period, and he started to pick up some results. Um, but they sort of fell into that trap again of being very Swansea under, under Russell Martin, and that's not a good thing. One point from six games for Swansea. And I tell you what, they're only eight points above the bottom three. So, <laughs> I don't think we can rule out them potentially being dragged into it, but that certainly didn't seem like it was a possibility not too long ago. Uh, he has once again reiterated that he won't be leaving the club, is Russell Martin. He also said that this game is the best they've played in a long time, which I think is true to an extent, but does say a lot about how they've been playing recently. Yeah, very low bar. Um, Millwall, looking at a very promising position all of a sudden, aren't they? They're just kind of ticking over very nicely, aren't they, Millwall? Just getting, you know, a decent amount of wins in so many games, not losing. um, I mean, they've lost one in their last six, I think it is now, or maybe even further than that. And that is all Millwall have to do at this point, isn't it? Their remaining games are very inviting. They've got one of the best remaining fixture lists of all the teams still aiming for a playoff place. And that is very exciting for Millwall. They're not pulling up treats. They're not like your, I know, your Lutons, for example, who are catching the eyes with how many wins they're getting on a regular basis, or Middlesbrough, or probably a better example. But Millwall are just ticking over. And that's not a bad position to be in, is it? For them to go under the radar and just say, we'll just have this playoff place right here. It's fine with us. Um, And that'll be very, very impressive if Millwall were to hold on to a playoff place this season. I mean, we've gone on massively about how impressive it is for Luton with their budget to get a playoff place. Millwall aren't, you know, much big spenders than Luton, are they? So if they were to do that, massive respect to Gary Rowett and the job he's done this season. Justin, we're going to have to fly through these because there's quite a few games we still need to get through. <laughs> a late own goal by Cal McFadden saw Coventry draw one all away at Wigan. Coventry missed some glorious chances here. Still in with a shout of the top six, but two points against a struggling Hall end recently. A really struggling Wigan isn't encouraging, is it? And I can see their top six push fading away, unfortunately. It's probably a good indication as to why they will just miss out on the top six this season. They just didn't have that quality to to get the three points in this game against Wigan. It's a frustrating one, um, but they weren't clinical in the moments they needed to be. And yeah, as I say, that's a very good snapshot as to why yeah, they won't reach, to, reach the top six. Back-to-back losses for Rotherham after being beat 2-1 at home by Preston, just as Rotherham looked as if they were getting away from the bottom three, they dragged right back into it and looking in trouble once again. I struggle to keep up with this relegation battle. I seriously (laughs) do, because every so often one team looks like they're getting away with it and now they're right back in danger. Um, We're still not entertaining a late playoff push for Preston, are we? No, no. As I said, I I think they're an OK side. No, OK sides don't get in the top six. I think that's a a good way of explaining uh, Preston. 
this is their best run of form they've had all season. I think they're seven unbeaten now, which is a good run of form, but they need to sustain it if they're going to have a chance in the, to finish in that top six. But for me, I just don't think they've got enough to, to get into the top six. I've had quite a few Preston fans criticise me in, in over the last sort of few days um, and I just I just can't see it. I don't think anyone in their right mind can see it. There's a lot of Preston fans calling for Ryan Lowe's head a month ago. Just shows just goes to show what a good run form can do. Changes expectations massively, but it, it, it shouldn't. This Preston team is is going to fall short, unfortunately. Yeah, a lot of the Preston fans who have been aiming criticism at you, Justin, are probably the same Preston fans who have also been criticising Ryan Lowe all mm. season. So mm. it just goes to show that, you know, expectations can change very quickly when you get a couple of wins on the board. And that's why I think we just need to, Preston fans may just need to calm themselves a bit with how they're doing. And finally, Cardiff won, West Brom won, Darryl Dika getting on the score sheet. Always good news considering how wasteful they are. West Brom could have won this one right at the death. Cardiff looked as if they were securing safety. It's now just one win in four, and that's meant they've just kind of been coasting along, which isn't enough, really, to ensure that you won't be relegated. So they're still very much in trouble. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with transfer embargoes. Everyone's getting an embargo, you get an embargo, you get an embargo. Burnley and Huddersfield have each been given an embargo by the EFL for submitting their annual accounts late. It means they're both unable to register new players. Burnley say draft accounts and financial information have been given to the EFL's financial reporting unit and the delay was down to a change in auditors taking longer than expected. They also said they were confident the issue would be resolved swiftly an embargo all sounds very serious but does it really mean anything we're not in a transfer window and it sounds like there's no rush for the clubs to send their accounts so who cares <laughs> yeah who cares I mean it does worry some supporters I think if you look at Burnley fans they won't be too bothered whereas Huddersfield fans whose ownership situation is a little bit more precarious than, than Burnley's they'll be a lot more concerned about the situation than, than Burnley supporters so yeah I think with Burnley, it's just one of those where it will get resolved. Whereas with Huddersfield, you hope that it's not anything more than it than it probably than it probably is. Um, so yeah, just just get those accounts in, guys, and uh, we can all we can all move on nicely. The Athletic is reporting Dan Gosling has mutually terminated his contract at Watford. The midfielder is out for the season and his contract expires this summer anyway. Discussions are being ongoing since the start of the year and an agreement has been reached amicably. Blackburn midfielder John Buckley is going to miss the rest of the season with a knee injury. He went off during their loss to Stoke last Friday. And former Blackpool, Leeds, Preston and Sunderland manager Simon Grayson has become a hero over in India. He's taken his side Bengaluru into the final of the Indian Super League. We tweeted a video this week of uh, the fans there chanting his name. Amazing, really, that he finds time to manage them and produce a quiz for this podcast each week. Well, um, I'm staggered. He's uh, he's got fans, to be honest, because yeah, certainly, certainly a few on the on this end who uh, aren't a fan, shall we say, politely. Is that in regards to hateful eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's okay, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he certainly can be hateful when it comes to the hateful eight, can't he? All right, now it's time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. 
You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We're taking a turn to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's Justin's turn to guess and my turn to provide the players and club with the scores 111-109 to Justin Peach. Justin, would you like the first player? Yeah, let's go. So your first player is the greatest player in the world right now, Chuba Akpom. And the club is Coventry City. Did he or didn't he? No. No, no, no. Did not. Six appearances on loan in 2014. <sighs> you said it so confidently as well. Because... This is what I get off on. <sighs> Zero yeah. out of one for Justin Peach. Danny Shitu and Blackpool. Did he or didn't he? That's not fair. That's not fair. He's, he's, a, he's a and he was at Bolton. Um, he's a good player. Wasn't he? Very good player. Very good player. He signed a lot of foot manager in the early years. Um, Once scored nearly the greatest goal ever as well. I think it was for Millwall. Hit a shot from about forty yards out. It's gone like a bullet, and I think he hit the crossbar. May have may have gone over just. I can't remember what happened, but yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, anyway, carry on. I remember that. Um, Blackpool. No, I don't think he did. 17 appearances on loan in 2001. 2001? 2001. Danny Shooter just comes across as this 30-year-old defender. He's been 30 year old. He was just 30 years old for his, his entire career. There's no way he was a youngster at one point. Yeah, I know what you mean. Zero out of two. Next up, Nicky Maynard and Wigan. Did he or didn't he? See, it's, it's, it'd be quite easy to, to get his career mixed up with James Vaughan's because... They it followed a similar trajectory in that they went up and then they went down and down and down and down. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say no. 16 appearances on loan in 2014. This is going <laughs> disastrously. Zero <laughs> out of three. <laughs> I, I feel really poorly this week. I'm just going to point that out there. I feel really poorly this week. I've been bed bound for about five days. Um, no excuses. I think I'm this afraid. is what it is. Next no one. excuses, I am afraid. Next up, Jordan Ayew and Aston Villa. Did he or didn't he? Yes, I remember this spell. I don't. 51 appearances, only was there for two years. Um, played in the championship with them, which passed me by. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. So, uh, one out of four for Justin Peach. Next up, Darren Huckabee and Newcastle. Deadly or Dinty? He's got a name that sounds great if you're from Newcastle. <sighs> Good God. Enjoy the action then. <laughs> no, no, I can't do Huckabee? it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in my head and I'm like, no, that sounds awful. Darren Huckabee? Darren Huckabee? No, no. Abysmal. Did he play for uh, Newcastle, yes or no? No, I don't think he did. He signed for them in 1995 and made one appearance. What I wish the listener right now could see Justin Peach's face because it really is a picture of complete and utter despair. I just... Yeah, that's that's a sneaky one. That is, I can only remember him playing for Manchester City, Norwich, and uh, Coventry, West Ham as well. Did he? 
Am I getting it mixed up with Dean Ashton? Mm-hmm. I always think ex-Norwich players with bleached hair. Um, one out of five. Gary Monk and Barnsley. Don't know Gary Monk's career at all. Just know he played for Swansea for a long time. Um, don't even know where his accent's from, so I can't even go Yorkshire. Where's he from? That's an interesting one. I'm going to go down, down south, I think. I don't know. He's just got a very nondescript accent. Um, Gary Monk and Barnsley, I'm going to say no. He didn't play for Barnsley. 17 appearances on loan and then permanently in 2004. I can't even keep a straight face at this point. One out of six. This is going disastrously. But I'm enjoying it. Um, James Harper and Cardiff. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, why not? I don't care at this point. Three appearances on loan in the year 2000. You're correct. Two out of seven. Jordan Stewart at Millwall, did he or didn't he? I do recall a spell for Jordan Stewart at Millwall. I think he might have gone on loan there from Derby. It's there permanently, actually. Signed for them in 2011, made four appearances. I think he'd been to Cyprus or Greece, one of the two, um, and then went to Millwall. Didn't play very often, though, as I say. Um, That is three out of eight. Franny Jeffers at Norwich, did he or didn't he? He had a loan spell at Norwich, I'm sure he did. Um, yeah, go on in. Didn't happen, made it up. I think I'm, I'm I'm not getting confused with David Bentley, but David Bentley, as soon as I said it, David Bentley came into my head because he had a loan spell at Norwich in 0405. But I just thought maybe, maybe like 0304 or something, he maybe went on loan there. Franny Jeffers is often getting mixed up with David Bentley. So that means it's three out of nine... Final one is DJ Campbell and Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? No, I, I do find myself on DJ Campbell's wiki a lot. He's got an interesting career and I don't think he went to Palace. He didn't. You're correct. Uh, so four out of ten. That went fairly disastrously, didn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm really poorly. I've been wiping my nose constantly throughout this episode. I've been holding back sneezes and coughs. Bit too, bit too much information there, mate. If, if you're struggling, is, then... Listen, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, This it is what it is. I'm not match fit. That's what it is. <laughs> not match fit. Okay, then. That means the <laughs> scores for the season are 115-109 to Justin Peach. So only six points ahead, which is not a great gap if you're in Justin Peach's shoes. Can I make the most of it next week? You'll have to find out then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. Um, I say next week. I've just remembered it's an international break. I don't know what we're doing next week. So we'll, we'll, we'll give you some sort of content next week, ladies and gentlemen. But whether it's Justin and I, I don't know yet. But you'll find out, won't you? Uh, but we'll certainly be back on Sunday to give you a roundup of all the championship action coming up in the championship this weekend. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a huge, huge thank you for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.